From Vine Bears New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. All right. Now some other people get to talk about what they've been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Zach, you know, I mean, I, I still I still am reflecting on what it sounds like to have been an amazing birthday. So Yeah, no, it was great. I think, I, you, I think you had an amazing birthday too, Adam, no? Yeah, it was great. It's, you know. <laughs> so long ago, who can remember? That's true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but Zach, what else had you been drinking with besides your birthday? Well, you know, longtime listeners will know that we, we have descended into the depths of dry January for me. So uh, most oh. of my drinking has been pretty. <laughs> I think pretty Adam, forget, Adam I forget definitely that, forgot. <laughs> I forget that you do this. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it, it's one of those things where, in a way, having a birthday on New Year's Eve kind of makes the the transition from uh, December and revelry into January and. Just thoughts of death, uh, all the more stark. <laughs> so I don't understand why you do this. And honestly, I feel like what I honestly I, I want to propose something. And I'd like to hear from the listeners at podcast at If you think that for the month of January that Zach does dry January, he should not be a co-host. Email in and let us know. At least for the Monday episodes. Because no one wants to hear for the next four weeks about bitters well, and soda. No, no I have, it's tea. He drinks tea. I know. I have I was going to say I have some actually interesting <laughs> NA drinks lined up to taste for this very purpose. Good. I want to hear from the people. But that's yeah. okay because I was only pregnant for nine months not drinking, but it's yeah. fine. <laughs> You were tasting stuff, and I will you be to be a choice. To, to be fair, I will. I, there will be a brief uh, dry January interregnum for me because actually, this is going to be news to the two of you. Also, uh, one of you will be jealous, maybe one of you will not. I am attending CiderCon in uh, Portland, Oregon. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm definitely not jealous. I know. I, <laughs> I, I'm very aware. I'll have lots to say about cider after that one. So uh, I will be. Dave I will and Fonte will be there with you. I know. Me and Dave will be tearing up Portland. Um, and uh, yeah, no, so but but I have some some NA beers lined up, some uh, some actually uh, NA cider also lined up, which is apparently not apple, apple juice. juice. It's um it's you know different <laughs> than that somehow. Uh, we'll find out. I'll let you know. But of course, I didn't it taste any of them worse. before before we <laughs> recorded. So um, nice. Right now, what, I'm, just, what I'm else, drinking though? my what? polar uh, ginger lime seltzer water here. Uh, just nice. feeling feeling good about things. It's just it's important to have a healthy relationship with alcohol. Just. Again, Look, abstention certain times of the week is very important. I understand the whole dry January thing. Just don't use it as an excuse to then over imbibe the rest of the year. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I have. I don't need that as an excuse. I have plenty of other. I think ones. it's just that people want to challenge themselves with something. I think there's something about a kind of suffering that people find weirdly attractive, and I think that's <laughs> including me. You know, I'm, I, I, yeah. I I see this in myself. It's okay. <laughs> a kind of okay. Suffering. What What about those of you who are making uh, a different choice with your Januarys, Joanna? What have you been drinking? Okay, well, I think the most exciting thing that I've had recently, because, you know, sometimes the tenor of the holidays kind of changes depending on where you're at in your life or who you're with. And so it's not always the most exciting drinking <laughs> to, to, to speak about on this podcast. So before the holiday, uh, the editorial team and I went to um, the newly opened Tusk Bar in our neighborhood, which is in the Evelyn Hotel. And we they have a whole martini menu. And I think we all had something from it. And that was really fun. I had the um, their version of a Gibson, which was a mignonette Gibson, which had uh, shallot vinegar and black pepper. And that was really good. Um, and then I had their version of a, an espresso martini with chicory, um, pecan, and brown butter. That was good, too. Otherwise, I just had some 
mm, Canadian macro beers and lots of Negronis, which lots of Negrones. my father-in-law loves to make. Um, That's and his he's drink, right? he's quite good at making them, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I guess as good as you can be at making Negronis. Anyway, um so that's what I've been having, Adam. Uh okay, so for me, the well, one night the, over the break, Naomi made a vegetarian paella. Is it even paella is vegetarian? I don't know, but it was from the It's just rice. Yeah, just rice. <laughs> Tell her that. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Naomi, it's just rice. Oh. Uh from the Plenty Cookbook. Oh, nice. Yeah, and uh I'm so a big Odalangi like, uh, fan. He's great. Yeah. So I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I'll open like a fun wine. So I opened a 2004 uh mm-hmm. La Rioja Alta, oh, nice. which was awesome and decanted it in a, a beautiful new decanter that was gifted to me mm-hmm. uh pre pre holidays by someone on the podcast that wasn't Zach. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and uh <laughs> And yeah, it was an awesome wine. That was probably the most memorable. I also went to Lancaster over the break. Right. And so some people are aware of this. Others may not be that, first of all, Naomi's from Lancaster. It's also become quite a foodie scene of a town. And one of our uh, contributors, Brad Thomas Parsons, the you know renowned Amaro uh, writer specifically, but writes about all kinds of spirits and mm-hmm. cocktails, uh, has also fallen in love with Lancaster, even though... He is not connected to it through a significant other. Um, I, I do like Lancaster a lot, and he goes regularly. And um, he is very friendly with the team at Luca. And we went in, and he had let them know we were coming in. And I got to chat with the staff for a while, and they brought out uh, shakerados. Oh, Ooh. nice! At the end of the meal, wait, you like a shakerado? I really enjoyed it, but you don't like an espresso martini. No, because you know shakerados got tomorrow. It's fancy and r- way more sophisticated. Okay. Uh, but I thought that so that was that was a fun thing to drink. And then over New Year's, I would say that the the best wine we drank was a uh, Gamay from Pax. Cool. Oh, nice. Which was awesome. That was my favorite wine. Although we also did drink a Scar of the Sea Syrah, also delicious. Um, did you so, do any champagne at all? We did. It's kind of perfunctory at this point, huh? Yeah, I forgot what the champagne was. <laughs> so I forgot. Yeah, someone brought it. I mean, at that point, too, like, I don't know. Also, it was a Magnum. Uh-huh. And at that point in the evening, when it gets opened, you're kind of like, ugh. And it got opened earlier than it needed to be at 11. And so, like, you're drinking champagne for, like, an hour. And by the time it was midnight, I was like, we need to walk home. And I was, I was ready. Uh, and then I'm doing, you know, just trying to watch my... Adam's doing Intake. damp January. I do. Da- I always do damp though. Yes, I try not do. to drink on the weekdays and drink on Friday and Saturday. Yeah, but I don't want to punish myself. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I just want to do that to me. Why do that to me? I think you don't want um, to punish the listeners. I mean, that's really what it's about. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm here for the listeners. I'm, I've always, I always have been. The only um, way I can get away with it is we have the, I have the two of you to to fill in the interesting parts of the Monday podcast. Thank yeah. you very much. Otherwise, you're going to be hearing about turmeric lattes for the whole month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. God, Joanna, you have that steel trap mind of yours. Just none of the tarot, none of the uninteresting things I talk about in January have escaped your notice. Oh, so good. So, an organization that no one ever knew existed called ONBA, or the not the Adult Non-Alcoholic Beverage Association, ONBA, put out data in late December, basically, all about actually non-alcoholic sales in dry January, and. This data is actually quite fascinating, and why this data is quite fascinating is for a few reasons. One, the category is growing. It uh, in a 52-week period last year generated 510 million dollars in sales uh, for in a 52-week period that ended July 29th. Uh, it, it increased that dollar amount 
by $121 million, so a 31% growth rate. Those sales peaked during the July 4th holiday weekend, and the sales channels that were driving it were uh, food, followed by liquor stores and then convenience stores, so basically people buying non-alcoholic beverages at you know grocery stores first and restaurants, then uh, liquor stores, then gas stations. The What will come as no surprise to anyone is that what is driving NA sales is beer. It is responsible for 86% of all non-alcoholic sales, yep. uh, with then NA wine, which surprised me, at 11%, and spirits at only 2.7%, which I thought was very interesting. But the thing that is the most surprising to others, but not to us, because we've always been fucking saying this, <laughs> is that... What the data also showed, they did a lot of research, is that 94% of non-alcoholic purchasers in America are alcohol drinkers. So let me put this very base bluntly to the people who listen to this podcast and scream that the NA segment is growing, therefore people are stop drinking. They're fucking not. They actually are just also choosing to drink NA beverages, either because they like the taste of some of those beverages and are looking for those tastes during other times of the day, maybe for lunch, maybe for breakfast, maybe on the weekends, who knows, or they are using it to supplement on the nights they choose not to drink, or what they also found is that a lot of people are doing what we've termed as switching, which is they drink a beer, then they drink an NA beer, then they drink a beer, then they drink an NA beer. Why? Because it makes these 9.5% Voodoo Rangers way more sessionable. And so they're able to hang out at a party for much longer by switching back and forth without feeling like they're missing out on something. Because I think a lot of that has also occurred where we have these long parties now in the afternoon with friends, family, et cetera, and people want to drink. Mm -hmm. So I find this so, you know, just so validating because there has been such a, uh, you know, sort of alarm bell being rung by by the industry for so long that we're losing drinkers and that Gen Z doesn't drink, that millennials aren't drinking as much. And again, when you look at actual consumption data, the consumption of alcohol over the last 50 plus years hasn't changed all that much. Mm-hmm. People drink. The, the, same popula- the same percentage of people that choose to drink regularly is basically the same po- percentage. The percentage of people that choose to drink Irregularly is the same percentage. The percentage of people that choose to abstain completely is about the same percentage. Yeah. But what we're seeing is that people who now choose to drink more regularly are also interested in just drinking things that taste like alcohol but aren't during the times they're not drinking, which means like maybe they have more of a taste for alcohol than we thought they did. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also that they want beverages that fit their perception of themselves as a sophisticated adult they just don't always want alcohol and i think right uh, you know i who knows if some of these products would have succeeded had they launched 10 15 20 years before maybe maybe not probably not but i think a big part of what defines this the successful growth of na the na category is that it has been really focused on delivering uh you know interesting flavorful Things for people who, for whatever reason, might not want alcohol in a given moment. And I, you know, as you said, Adam, we've said a bunch of times on this podcast that there does not seem to be a lot of those people who don't also want alcohol some of the time. And exactly how they distribute their drinking between alcoholic and non-alcoholic versions of similar products is, you know, a little hard to parse sometimes. But to say that it's people are en masse abandoning alcohol is just, yeah, it flies in the face of all data and kind of all logic, frankly. 
But I, I think the most interesting thing to me about all this is is that question of kind of can that model of switching back and forth between uh, you know an alcoholic beverage and a non-alcoholic beverage be replicated outside of beer because it makes a ton of sense in beer. I think it works really well, and as uh, you know, as noted by um, Bill Schufeld from Athletic Brewing in this piece, you know that you know on premise on tap is a big growth spot for their beers because that's an area where people very understandably might want to be able to switch back and forth. And yet, I don't know if that's going to work as well for the other parts of the NA category because the NA versions are maybe less easily disguised in that way. Yeah, I think that that's definitely part of it. I think it's less clear to people. Like there there are more hurdles to like a non-alcoholic spirit than there is to a beer or an RTD, which is mentioned in this um, Brewbound piece. Like when you get a non-alcoholic spirit, you still have to do something with it to create a cocktail or a mocktail, whatever you want to call it. And I think people are still kind of understanding why they would want to do that. I think also price is a huge part of this. And I was having this conversation over the break with my father-in-law around non-alcoholic beer. It's really popular, but it's also like not that expensive compared to beer or it's like equally expensive as beer, whatever. But like, I think it's harder for people to justify. We've talked about this before, justify spending as much money on a mocktail than on a cock than as on a cocktail and and why would they buy that at home and bring that home right and so that's why I think there's just more success at this point for in the beer in the non-alcoholic beer space and in the and for RTDs yes and I think that they I think it just again if if it's a flavor that you like yeah then for example like if you're someone who tends towards bitter flavors right and you're interested in those kinds of things then maybe the nights that you don't drink you're not really that interested in drinking, you know, Coke or Pepsi or things like that, you know, but like you might want to drink a Casamara club yeah, because, you know, it's, it's a Maro flavored, but, and again, that's, it's not for people abstaining. It's for people who are interested, who've, who've become accustomed to those flavors and then want to find those flavors elsewhere on days that like, yeah, you probably don't, maybe you even had one cocktail, but you don't want to have three or four because you don't, need to have that further inebriation you need to take you want to take the edge off and that's it yeah. i think that that's what we're seeing also from people is that that's how they're choosing to drink these these things they and don't they don't they don't opt for soda or juice no. in place of it right no. it's something else no but i also think that you know you mentioned abstention and i think something that's really interesting in this conversation and makes a lot of sense to me not as somebody who abstains but like for people who abstain for different reasons like it makes sense that non-alcoholic drinks are purchased by people who drink alcohol because i don't think that people who abstain are going to purchase non-alcoholic drinks you know what i mean they're not going to drink it probably for various reasons like i imagine that if you're sober you're not going to get an an na beer right right if there's alcoholism you're probably not going to get something that's like a passable substitute for alcohol you're probably just going to fully abstain Completely. That is most people, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, do, I do think what's interesting, though, too, is that like a lot of people who are choosing to abstain, I think one of the reasons that this data gets clouded by media is that a lot of people who, to, who do choose to abstain are then, who are influencers maybe, can be very loud about then the non-alcoholic drinks that they're choosing because they're promoting because they've decided to do this for whatever reason. While, again, I agree with you, it's probably not the majority of people who are abstaining. There is this population that abstains and then drinks non-alc, and then they're very vocal about it. 
online. And so then a lot of con- – so then people jump to the conclusion, oh, people who drink non-alcoholic are abstaining. And people who choose to drink non-alcoholic must be abstainers. And it, like it's this weird thing where no one looks at data. They just make all these assumptions because one prominent former chef who – used to be a big drinker is now drinking athletic and so then they must assume oh this is what this is what, this is what happens you choose not to be a drinker you drink athletic that's actually not true it's actually you choose to take breaks or you choose to su- switch off etc and you drink athletic mm-hmm. or you drink athletic on a wednesday or casamara club on a tuesday or whatever after you had a cocktail or after you had a beer yeah and that's why i think this is so interesting it's it's like and i think people have to reset their mind then of how you talk about na because it's not NA in terms of extension. It's NA is like this is the drink for the you know the time you don't want the drink with alcohol, but it has the same flavors. Yeah. It's not because you want to abstain or be healthy it's or any of those reasons. It's a means for moderation. It's a means for moderation. It's yeah. a it's a means to still have. Look, also in America, we don't have a lot of sodas, et cetera, that have the flavors that we really like, especially on the bitter side yeah. from from certain cocktails, et cetera. So like these are also fitting those voids right they're, they're sliding in and saying cool this is for those consumers that like that kind of flavor i mean the one that i that i'm shocked by in the data is, is non-alcoholic wine just i have not had one that tastes anything remotely like wine the wolfer estate one is pretty good interesting yeah i mean our our list is up too we have lists for best non-alcoholic beer wine and and drinks yeah um there's so much out there yeah, at really this point. Is. And it's, it's growing. Insane. It really is. And, and look, there's a lot of great stuff too. I think also what's interesting is it's growing for only a market that's about half a billion dollars, right? Like to to put that into perspective, let me see if I can pull up this data really quickly. Well, it's funny. Um, so I have a bunch of uh, just around like the different flavor profiles of these things. Like we were sent so much. I took a few of the Gia's home and they have a new flair, <laughs> flavor of, of sumac and chili. And Evan had one last night. And he was like, oh, this is really good. Yeah. Like so I think they're getting more inventive and and trying to fill those holes that are outside of just like traditional soda flavors. So just just to be clear, which I think is interesting. So. It's, it's a it's a low alcohol cocktail, right? But it's low alcohol. Okay. So the entire NA category is about five hundred million dollars. So half a billion. Yeah. The entire category. The close of this year, high noon is one point five billion dollars. Yeah. Just for high noon. <laughs> Again. So yeah. So yes, it's an interesting category, but like one brand, it's triple it. But I think that that's actually – this conversation helps me understand why there is such interest in the NA market from – you know, on the production side, on the brand development side, and I think as we will probably continue to see from some of the larger alcohol companies, because if you recognize correctly that your market for NA products is actually – most, if not all, of the drinking public and as opposed to Mm -hmm. the public that doesn't drink, you both – probably come up with products that are better aligned with what people want. I mean, as Joanna was describing, as you've both been describing, you know, the the wide range of flavors, the uh, non-sweet kind of more bitter, more, I guess we would perhaps say more adult or sophisticated flavor set mm-hmm. is part of that. But part of it is also recognizing like even people who are never going to stop drinking alcohol or never going to even meaningfully abstain can find a use case or an opportunity where like, hey, yeah, maybe I, I do want to just have one beer tonight or I want to just have two or I want to have, you know, just one cocktail tonight or whatever, right? And if the product is quality, you can perhaps 
reach a large segment of that market, at least occasionally. And it's a market that is very accustomed to paying a lot of money for what they drink. And that, I think, is the other big piece of this. The other thing that I think often goes unsaid in this conversation is it is much easier to convince someone who is already shelling out whatever dollar figure you want to cite, whether it's for at-home consumption or when they're out, but whatever alcohol costs, especially, you know, more expensive alcohol, to convince that person to spend a meaningful fraction of that on an NA product that meets a lot of those same needs, less the alcohol, than it is to convince someone who's a soda drinker, you know, soda's cheap for the most part, or is a juice drinker, juice depends on where you're getting your juice, I guess, these days, but, you know, can range a lot. And that is just a much easier sell to someone than, like I said, convincing someone who doesn't want to pay you know, kind of premium alcohol price for something that is non-alcoholic or for anything, probably. I want to jump on one other point that Joanna made and expand upon it, which is, I'm thinking about this now, the fact that non-alcoholic beer is just more affordable, et cetera, than these products. Yeah. I also think to most consumers and to the buyers, and I don't mean the purchaser, the end user, I mean the buyer at the retail store, Mm -hmm. it's also easier to understand. So I think why beer has become so much more popular as well is like most grocery stores have one or two now non-alcoholic beers in their coolers. If I want to go see these this plethora of other options, this this massive world that exists where the Gia's, et cetera, are, either I'm finding them online Mm -hmm. or I've got to walk into a specialty Special, retailer, yeah, yeah, like yeah. one of these NA retailers. It's like, I'm sorry. I just don't believe most people are going to go out of their way for that. And so the convenience of being able to go into like the bodega or the grocery store and buy your six pack of hazy double IPAs and along with that buy the six pack of athletic is very fucking easy. Yep. And then it's, it also makes it much easier to make that choice. I'm going to have some moderation because I can buy them both at the same time. If I go to the actual liquor store and buy a bottle of gin and a bottle of whiskey and then say, well, you know what? I want to moderate, but now I have to go. This liquor store is not carrying really much of any you know, NA spirits or the one that's on the shelf is very expensive because all they have is, I don't know, liars or something. And now I have to go out of my way to the NA store to find it or order it online. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. So I'm going to go to the bodega or the grocery store and buy the athletic. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I, and I don't know how that gets fixed besides maybe educating the retailers at the actual alcohol stores. But like, why, a lot of them probably say, "But we're especially alcohol store. Why do we want to sell NA?" Well, the other the other piece of this, and I think you mentioned it in passing, but I think one area where like Athletic in particular had a lot of early success is because these are NA products that you can order them online and have them shipped to you. Yes, and maybe that's not your point of discovery. Maybe you're not going to order a case of NA product because you've you've just seen it on social media or you saw it on you know you saw it on Viper or whatever but i do think that for repeat customers which obviously is part of this business model that ease of access is a huge selling point i mean again you know yep. that is something that you cannot do easily with any alcoholic product certainly across state lines and it gives these brands a chance where if they do make a connection with a potential drinker they have that easy follow up that just sets them apart from any alcoholic product yeah. But what about like a Whole Foods or Trader Joe's? Uh, surely they have some of those uh, cans. Oh, absolutely. I, I actually don't know, but I imagine they must, right? Oh, I mean, the Kroger stores near me have a bunch of them now. Like it is, it is. I would say they're they're pitched more in with like the mixers um, as opposed. Like it's not like they're being stocked and yeah. clearly displayed. But like if you're looking for it, you can find probably uh, a good ten or so 
things that I think we would consider like, you know, NARTDs more or less um, on the shelves in like the local grocery store. That's like the Kroger own grocery store near me. I will say that, that that's also the issue that I've seen is the grocery stores when it happens, the placement of NA that's not beer is often with the mixers and the... Because the, where else would it be? Right. And so therefore you don't normally find yourself in that part of the section that oftentimes the mixer section isn't where the wine and spirits yeah. are. Sometimes it's in a different section. And so I think consumers just aren't discovering it as uh, easily. Yeah. Right. And But they're discovering the Athletic or the Heineken Zero or the Sapporo Zero or whatever because it's just in the beer section. Yeah. So it's a much easier, you know opportunity to then make the decision to also take the beer. So it's really the non-alcoholic spirits that are yeah, really, I mean, really challenged two percent. Right yeah, 2%. 2%. I mean, it's, I think a lot of the non-alcoholic wine is even probably sitting on the wine shelf. It's the spirits. It's like, it, it just, a lot of, I think liquor stores aren't taking a lot of non-alcoholic spirits. Yeah. Uh, there's only a few, you know, there's, there's only so many states that sell spirits in the grocery store. Where they might take it, but as Zach said, then they're probably going to put it in the mixer section or in some different section. So then you're looking at specialty retailer online, and then you're also fighting the price. Yeah. yeah. And well, so that's where it's really hard. And again, you you have this compounding effect of a product that is less user-friendly than an NA beer or even an NA, you know, kind of RTD. Yeah. Because in a setting where there's no person who's going to walk you through, oh, you're going to buy this you seed lip product or whatever here's a good way to eat like you're 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 relying only on people who already know the product to come in and buy it and maybe there's some of that for sure but i think that yeah the the it's much easier to take the chance on or even just kind of understand how you would incorporate a canned product that's ready to go whether it's beer whether it's uh, an rtd into your life than it is uh certainly with spirit and even maybe with wine where again i think there's a lot of, you know, you've said kind of, Adam, that you don't understand the market. I, I also have tried a fair number of NA wines that or wine-like products that run the gamut from being kind of interesting to being, I, I would never drink again if I had the choice. Yeah. But but again, they sort of are hard to suss out for people because in part, how many times are you in a setting where you want to drink a bottle of NA wine, right? You know, unless you are a, <laughs> a, a, a two or more person gathering of people who both like wine, but also don't want to drink wine with alcohol in it, it's kind of like, who is this for, right? You know, it's almost like the NA wine category would be better served looking at canned wine or something that's a smaller size that that is an individual use case as opposed to standard 750 bottle. And suddenly people are like, well, unless I'm having a wine tasting of NA wine for people who don't, who like the taste of wine, but don't like to drink wine, but also this doesn't really taste like, the whole thing is a confused mess. And I think it, again, explains why these, sales numbers for everything besides beer are so low. Yeah, I mean, look, if you think about like what consumers have been taught about all these different product categories, right? So all we're, all we're saying to them is this subs in for the real thing. So on the spirit side, right, it's, well, you use this like you'd use a spirit. Well, so for example, for me, we had a, a bottle of non-alcoholic gin up on the 11th floor mm-hmm. on the shelf earlier today. I was looking at it with Rob and I said to him, like, how would I, like, if I made it on alcoholic martini, wait, so now I'd have to find like non-alcoholic vermouth. Like, where do I find that? And if I didn't find alcoholic vermouth, so then am I just gonna like stir this over, you know, with ice and then pour it into my martini glass and have a twist and just tell myself it's it's a martini, it's a martini, it's a martini. So like, because that's how I that's how I use gin to make mostly martinis. And then with wine, consumers have been taught 
to Zach's point that like basically when you open a bottle, it starts to go bad. So wouldn't you assume the same thing with the non-alcoholic wine? And so therefore, if you're going to open a bottle, don't you need to drink the whole thing or have a whole group of people over to drink it? And you can't do that if you don't have a lot of people that want to drink non-alcoholic wine. So like, yeah, it only can probably work in it's a can. But it's like, we all know we can drink a can of beer. Mm-hmm. Or we all know we can drink yeah. one RTD. I, I think that those – the only two areas that make sense. So if you're doing the canned or the bottled non-alcoholic RTDs that may taste like Negronis, gin and tonics, whatever, or you're making non-alcoholic beer, keep doing it. I think you're on to something. The single do, serves. Yeah. Yep. If, you're, if you're on to anything else, either figure out how to make it single serve or stop. Pivot. Or stop. <laughs> <laughs> Just stop. And yeah, let us know what you think about non-alcoholic and all this data. And again – just remember, your consumer is actually someone that drinks. Uh, let us know at podcast.vinepair.com. We would love to hear from you. And uh, Joanna and Zach, I will see you on Friday. Have a good week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Chabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Shrino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.